G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story I said, look, if we find the jacket, we will take it to the church in the capital city, which is Santa Cruz. So he goes looking, and he, sure enough, he, he can hear them singing. And somebody opens the door, just a little crack, and they see a white man. And so they grab him, and they pull him in. Brother, brother, we're so glad you're here. Why do you call me brother? Stop touching me. I'm not your brother. Can't you see I'm not your brother? Who, who are you people? Where's my jacket? G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have part two of our conversation with Erica Grace, who's the daughter of Bruno Fregoli, who was one of Mussolini's elite bodyguards during World War II. Erica is sharing with us her father's incredible life journey. As we heard last time, Bruno followed his father into military service in Italy in the 1930s, and he eventually rose through the ranks to become one of Mussolini's bodyguards. However, after World War II ended and Italy was defeated, Bruno was sent to prison where his fellow inmates were being executed one by one. Unexpectedly, they decided to let him live and he was sent into exile to South America. Just one of the many times in his life that Bruno narrowly escaped death. Now, let's hear more of Bruno Fregoli's story as Eric Scadabo continues his chat with Erica Grace. Erica Grace, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Eric. And you told the fascinating story of your father last time when all hope was lost, what looked like it was lost. He was, first of all, he was devastated because Mussolini was his hero. He was worshipped. And Mm -hmm. then when Mussolini was killed at the end of the war, he was then sent to prison. And as we ended last time, as we just heard in the introduction, he was sent to exile in South America. So, Erica, could you please pick up this story from there? Yes, and... uh I'm glad to say that this is the better side of the story, mm. even though he didn't know it at the time. My mm, father yeah, was a very yeah. devastated, disillusioned young man, mm-hmm. and um, he was put in exile. He had a choice between Canada and Argentina. He chose Argentina, and uh, my mother was his uh, girlfriend at the time, and she followed him to Argentina with the family. And... Uh, In Argentina, he was finding it very difficult to find any any job. I mean, he had wanted the military to be his career forever, Hmm. and he wasn't really trained on anything else to do anything else. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a very disillusioned, very bitter young man. At any rate, my mother wanted to marry him, much against her own parents' wish, but Mm -hmm. uh, they decided to support her in this. So they got married in Argentina, in Buenos Aires. And my grandfather gave my mother as a wedding gift a hotel. A hotel? (laughs) I know. You you don't usually hear that as a wedding gift. (laughs) It was a small hotel, nothing very fancy, but it was in the skiing fields of Argentina in a place called San Carlos de Bariloche. Mm Mm-hmm. It was just a small uh, hotel, and people that would love to ski, you know, would go up there and stay there. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, my father said, because my daughter is marrying this good-for-nothing ex-fascist man who has no career, but at least uh, with running the hotel, she will have an income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, my father would try to find odd jobs, but the worst thing was that he began to drink. Mm. And um, he would just get incredibly violent. There was a lot of anger in him, a lot of um, bitterness and disappointment. Yeah, I hate to say this, Erica, but at this point in the story, your dad doesn't sound like a really nice guy. No, he doesn't. They had my oldest brother at the time. He was born there in San Carlos, the Bariloche. Mm-hmm. But through the travelers that would come, my father heard that they were coming from a country called Bolivia, which was just up north from Argentina mm-hmm. in South America, and that they were uh, finding gold everywhere. And so in my father's mind, it was like Bolivia was all solid gold, you know, gold everywhere. Mm-hmm. And he slowly talked my mother into selling the hotel and going to Bolivia to find gold. And uh, eventually my mother said, okay. So they did sell a couple of years later or three years later. They sold the hotel and they made their way to Bolivia. Now at this time, Bolivia was a much less developed country than Argentina. And the mm-hmm. place where they were mining for gold was uh, a jungle area, which was even less developed than the rest of the country. So it was a very primitive place and very uh, underdeveloped place. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my mother was there living in the, under very primitive conditions. Anyway, as the years ticked on, my father didn't find any gold to speak about. Mm. It would be small pebbles. Not enough for any grandiose future that he had envisioned. Mm. They heard that fascists were welcome back in, in Italy, that you know yeah. they weren't going to be persecuted or, or killed anymore. So my father said to my mother, I'm sick and tired of this life, and so was my mother, actually. And uh, he said, let's just go back to Italy. So she said, yes, let's go back. So my father left my mother in the jungle area of Bolivia and went to the capital city of that area Mm -hmm. to be able to buy uh, three tickets and three passports and uh, go back to Italy. And... um, he went, got everything done. There wasn't much money left. I mean, because they had already lived on most of it, so yeah. there wasn't much money left. In his rickety truck, he puts his um, the three tickets and the three passports inside a leather jacket, and he hooks the leather jacket on a little hook that was by the window in his truck. Mm-hmm. And he's driving on this bumpy road, you know. I mean, it's not really quite a proper road. But yeah. Yeah, probably a dirt road or something. A dirt road, exactly. Yeah. Driving into this camp in the in the jungle area. When he reaches back for his jacket, probably to get a cigarette, he realizes the jacket's no longer there. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's been driving for hours. Oh, and he wow. Stops and he gets out and he's like, where is that jacket? Where is the jacket? Oh, and he's just beside himself with... Fear and fury at the same time. Wait, wait, wait a second. His very last penny went to buy those tickets. Yeah. And now they're gone. And now the whole jacket is gone. Wow. And he's uh, having a fit, as we say. Yeah. When he's wondering what to do, he sees a truck coming from the jungle towards him. 
and uh, it's like a van. And he thinks maybe these people, because he could see that they were Westerners, could be looking out for my jacket mm-hmm. and help me if they find it. Because he said, I don't have time to go back looking for this jacket because I need to go in and get... He had to get his wife, and all mm-hmm. this had to be done before the rains set in. Oh, wow. <laughs> once the rains came in this area of Bolivia, you'd be uh, stuck in that place for months, three months. Mm-hmm. So he waves the, the van down like a wild man, and he realizes there's two women, a woman driving and the other woman sitting next to her, and they're both Americans. When they first saw him, they were scared to death because this bearded man wildly waving his hands, and they're thinking, oh, my goodness, do we stop or don't we stop? But they, mm-hmm. they had to stop because they had to maneuver. You know, they'd have to move. My father would have to move the truck to let them through. Okay. And so they rolled down the window, and they said, yes. And he said, oh, on this road, I lost my jacket. It's a leather brown. It's got three tickets to Italy, and it's got three passports. Please, please, please be on the lookout. Can you be on the lookout? And they said, yeah, we'll be on the lookout. And they said, look, if we find the jacket, we will take it to the church Assemblies of God in the city, in the capital city, which is Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. And he said, Assemblies of God, yes, okay, fine. So they drive on, and he goes, picks up my mother, and of course he's worried sick. They come back to Santa Cruz, and he's looking everywhere for Assemblies of God church. Mm-hmm. Now, being a Catholic, you know, he looks at all the Catholic churches. Is this Assemblies of God? No, this is St. Patrick. Is this Assemblies of God? No, this is St. Mary. And finally, somebody says, you know, Assemblies of God is not really a Catholic church. It must be one of those evangelical groups. Mm. He was horrified. What, one of those? <gasps> one of those horrible, mm-hmm. you know, people that we we are told to stay away from. And they said, um, they don't really have a church, but there's a group that meets near the, the market area. We hear them singing. There's no sign outside, nothing. <laughs> so he goes looking, and he, sure enough, he, he can hear them singing. Knocks on the door. The singing stops. <laughs> And somebody opens the door, just a little crack, and they see a white man. And so they grab him and they pull him in. Oh, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. We have a new brother. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We've been praying for a new missionary. (laughs) So wait, wait, wait. They thought he was a missionary? Yes, they thought they'd been praying for another (laughs) missionary because they didn't have enough missionaries. And they saw him as a white man. They said, you know, oh, the Lord has answered our prayer. And they started saying, brother, brother, we're so glad you're here. Why do you call me brother? Stop touching me. I'm not your brother. Can't you see I'm not your brother? Who are you people? Where's my jacket? Oh, wow. So they thought they had a new missionary brother. Instead, they had a a fascist. They didn't know he was. Hmm. (laughs) He just wasn't uh, regenerated yet. Hmm. And uh, they said, I don't know anything about a jacket. I said, yeah, the two women, the two, the two American women told me to come here. Oh, they said, they are missionaries. But they're going, you know, they, they have to visit all our groups, and they might be here. They might be here on the weekend. Why don't you come on the weekend? Mm. And so, you know, he came back because, of course, the pre- it's pressing time, and they, he wants to get back to Italy. He doesn't have any money. Mm. And um, he keeps going back to this little group. It's his only and, hope uh, in more ways than one. In more ways than one. Is, is my jacket here? No, not yet. But why don't you stay a minute? Come on, we'll, we'll 
you know, here you have a cup of coffee and just, you know, and they go, oh, could stand it, come back again, come back next week, come back on Tuesday, come back on Thursday, come back on Saturday. Oh, wow. He's attending a lot of services. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is once again chatting with Erica Grace, who's the daughter of Bruno Fragoli, who was one of Mussolini's elite bodyguards during World War II. As we just heard, Bruno is now in South America, and circumstances in his life have led him to attend church services, where he's learning about Jesus Christ. We'll find out the impact this has on his life when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're back with more of Eric Scadabo chatting with Erica Grace, who's sharing her father, Bruno Fragoli's incredible story. As we've heard previously, Bruno was one of Mussolini's elite bodyguards during World War II. And now, at this point in the story, he's in South America and broke. And he's desperately wanting to go back to Italy, but he lost the plane tickets and believes some Christian missionaries may have found them. So, this down-on-his-luck fascist continues to go back to their church Day after day. Now we'll hear what happened next in Bruno's life. One night he went back and he heard there was actually a, a missionary that had very poor Spanish. And that night that missionary was visiting and he was reading to the people the story of the prodigal son. Mm. And um, my father's hearing this, and as he's hearing him speak, he, first of all, he's saying, this Spanish is atrocious. You know? hmm. How did these people even understand him? But as he's hearing the heart of the missionary telling the story, and he's actually weeping as he's telling the story of the father. Hmm. My father felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he had never felt that before, and he just felt, you know, you are that lost son and the heavenly father is calling you back is waiting for you Mm. and my father fell on his knees on that dirt floor and he wept his heart out and he asked the lord to forgive him and come into his life and he said when he got up (laughs) he looked at all the people there and he said you are my brother and he went around and hugged them all and Mm. wept with them. Wow. And um, that night he's singing as he's coming back home, and my mother had had quite enough of his drunken behavior and his violence, and she had said to him, oh, Bruno, drunk again? Huh. He said, no. <laughs> this time there's something so wonderful going on in my heart I can't explain it he said Jesus is in my heart and you know my mother had never been a Catholic and she was wonderfully reconciled to the Lord and it was just a miraculous change in Bruno Frigoli's life wow so their marriage healed in a sense yes their marriage was healed and Mm. um, that jacket never came up oh is that right finally met the ladies again and they said he said and the jacket, he says, Bruno, we looked, we looked, 
in very thick areas. We actually got out to see if we could find it. We could never find it. I'm mm. sorry. We don't know where the jacket went. And so he said, you know, I don't know who went to Italy then, but uh, <laughs> somebody must have gone to Italy and reported oh. <laughs> <forced> my name. <laughs> oh, somebody must have found it, eh? And that was your ticket out of uh, Bolivia. Yeah. The thing was, then all of a sudden, my father wasn't interested in returning to Italy anymore, and he looked at this group, and he was hungry for the word, and and the group understood him better than they understood the the American missionary. Oh, his his Spanish was better. (laughs) Because Italian and Spanish are both romantic languages. Mm, Yeah. So so um, it was easier for them to understand my father's accent. And my father would read the Bible to them, and they just begged him to stay on. And yeah, so my parents became their pastors wow. <laughs> eventually. Wow! Yeah. So, uh, so I'm seeing the irony here. They yeah, mistakenly yeah. thought he was the missionary they had been praying for, mm-hmm. and instead he was actually a drunken former fascist. Yep. But then he eventually becomes the missionary they were praying for. Exactly. Wow. It was almost prophetic. Really. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then that's when I was born. When, oh, okay. Um, they were pastoring this small church, and my father really brought a lot of changes in the way evangelicals did the church. And um, he was a voracious reader of the Word, and what mm-hmm. was interesting was that in his background, when he went to school, he had always gone to a parochial Catholic school, mm-hmm. and they had actually, he had actually learned Greek. He knew oh, Greek. really? Wow. So he could read Romans in wow. Greek. Yeah. Yeah. And he could understand Romans and expand on the book of Romans. Oh, wow. Very in-depth. And the yeah. people were fascinated because they could understand the scriptures. And he began to change their mentality and say, we shouldn't be ashamed to be evangelicals. Now, I have to say, at this time, the evangelicals in Bolivia were viciously persecuted and um, every time they t- tried to build a church, it would be burnt down. Mm. If anybody was seen with the Bible, they'd be killed. It, it, was, it was atrocious. We have a lot of martyrs in Bolivia. Mm. So it was a real big step of faith when my father said, no, let's not be ashamed. We're going to put a sign out there. And they put a sign, and they opened the doors, and they invited people in. Mm. So he really became a leader of the evangelical church in Bolivia. Yeah, he did, and uh, he was quite visionary, and, you know, he wanted the churches to get together and have um, fellowships and stuff, and and just, you know, he would say there's strength in numbers, and we need to get together, and so he became quite a powerful evangelist. Oh, because everybody wanted to hear his story. Uh, They wanted to hear his story. Ah, He had a testimony to tell. Yeah. And uh, then my youngest brother was born, Mm -hmm. so... Things, even though things were going so well and the church was growing, and they actually had like a, a manse where our family lived behind the church. Okay. So one day, it was Easter time, and my father wanted to have fellowship with visiting churches or invite churches to come and, and let's all get together because there's strength in numbers and mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. One night, my parents were taking the visiting pastor back to his township, which was about, like, I don't know how many miles away, but a couple of hours of, of driving away mm-hmm. after the service, and it was, so it was quite late. And everybody got into the van, and apparently I started to fuss because 
My brother was too close, and it was hot. This is tropical land. Mm, yeah. It was too hot, and I was tired, and I wanted to lay and lay down, and I wanted to rest. And So I started to fuss, and my mother said, why don't we leave the kids at home? Mm. And interestingly, my, my uncle, my mother's brother, had come from Italy to visit, and uh, she said, Leonardo, can you take care of the children? Because they're tired, just put them to bed, and uh, we'll go take these pastors and come back. And I, the last thing I remember is rolling down the window. See, I'll see you in the morning. You go go to bed. I'll see you in the morning. So that night, I took the pastor home, and on the way back, um, my parents had a car accident, hmm. a very serious accident. They didn't see on t- in time. There was a, tr- a lumber truck that had run out of petrol on the road. And, of course, no lights, nothing. They just left the, the truck in the middle of the road. Oh. And this other truck had, was coming the other way with very high beams. And my father was kept driving and put his hand up, you know, to sort of shield from the yeah. high beams. Yeah. And so they didn't see the truck until it was too late. And they plowed right into it mm. and all these tree trunks and everything fell everywhere and uh, later uh, another truck came by and they were trying to pull the two cars apart and uh, they found two bodies and uh, they actually literally threw them on top of a truck and took them to the morgue. Assuming they were dead. Assuming they were dead. Nobody could have lived through that. And when they got to the morgue, uh, the doctor said, well, the woman is dead, but this man is still breathing. I couldn't believe it. Oh, wow. It took him to the hospital, and of course he was totally unconscious. And he was unconscious for several days. Meanwhile, for us, in the morning, you know, came the news, and no one was quite able to say to us, your mother is dead. They didn't use those words at all. They just mm. kept saying, your mother is in God's house. And I would say, well, that's the church. And apparently, well, my older brother understood because I could see him crying. So then, going back to my father, he was unconscious for three days. When he came to, you know, he said, oh, how's my wife? And they said, he, she's dead. Mm. And uh, he said, well, just let me die. And they said, yeah, but you have three little children. And so he said, well, then I must live. And they said to him, look, Mr. Frigoli, there's not much we can do for you in this country. You're going to be paralyzed the rest of your life. Every bone just about is broken. Mm. Wow. And uh, there's not much we can do. Go back to your country. So through gifts from many places and uh, even through my grandparents and, and other people, we got tickets, and they put my father on a on a body cast that just sort of held him mm-hmm. um, from head to toes. And they put us, actually, it was the first Avianca flight, I remember, Buenos Aires, Rome. And we got on the plane, and I can remember that this was the first time I saw my father again. And I remember they had put down three seats, and so my father laid in his body cast there in the front and the stewardesses were looking after my baby brother I can still remember her mm-hmm. this lady holding my brother and um, for us 
you know, especially for me, it was like an adventure. Wow, I've never been in one of these planes before. Yeah. Looking out the window, and mm. and I can remember coming to seeing this horrible form on this bloody cast and horrible face and all bloody and mm. horrible, and I couldn't recognize my father. Oh, wow. And the only way that I recognized him was when he said, Erika, when he called my name. Oh, sorry. <laughs> And I said, Papa, and he said, Erika, everything is going to be okay. And I thought, oh, he looks so gruesome. I couldn't bear to look at him. He, he really, his whole face was swollen and uh, bloody. Mm-hmm. He had all this glass embedded in his flesh, you know, in his, in his face. And... Uh, his arms were out, and his arms looked like so swollen and so bloody. It was just horrible mm. to look at, and yeah. I really didn't want to be with him. And then we, I remember arriving in Rome, and uh, the only thing I remember is looking down from the window of the plane and seeing this little ambulance coming right up to our uh, plane. And then we didn't see our dad. They took our dad down, and then we came off the plane, and uh, we met our grandparents. Well, that was part two of Eric Scatterbo's conversation with Erica Grace sharing her father, Bruno Fregoli's incredible story. And as we just heard, Bruno is now a pastor and has narrowly escaped death once again. We'll hear more of Bruno's story next time, but we'll also hear Erica's story and the challenges she's faced growing up in South America with a stepmother who initially didn't even speak her language. That's all coming up next time. But before we end today, there's a few observations about Bruno's remarkable life up to this point. First of all, he's very fortunate to even be alive. He could have easily been executed back in Italy after World War II. And as we just heard he was mistaken for dead in this horrific car accident that killed his wife but once again god was not done working in his life and he miraculously survived also another aspect of the story that i just loved was how he originally went to church looking for what he lost only to find the greatest gift of all salvation and then as an evangelist sharing his testimony he was able to spread the good news of jesus christ to many parts of latin america it's fantastic Well, thanks for joining us for part two of Bruno Fregoli's life journey, and we invite you to join us again next time. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. He announced to us, you know, that now Papa has a new wife, so you have a mother, a new mother. And I was delighted to tell you the truth, because a lot of people that would meet us, they'd say, you know, yeah, Erika has lost her mother. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, my goodness. You know, I've been very careless. How could I lose my mother? Can you imagine? I lost mother. Erica Grace's father was exiled to South America after Italy was defeated in World War II. She grew up hearing the stories of what his life used to be like before he became a pastor and evangelist. Then, after he nearly died in a horrific car crash, they were all sent back to Italy, where her life would never be the same. We'll hear Erica's story next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.